Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 385 with Kian Golzari of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, Nathan here. Hope you really enjoy the upcoming episode with today's founder. Now, before we dive in, I just wanted to share something really exciting we're doing at Founder right now. Now, as some of you guys may know, we've been busy building some pretty amazing online programs that can help you start or grow any business on our online educational platform. We get serious weapons to come in and teach for us. These are people that have done it before multiple times. So why am I telling you this? Well, one of the requests that we've been frequently getting is for us to produce more content on how to sell and start a business on Amazon. And I'm genuinely really excited to let you guys know we've had an incredible instructor teach on our platform. We're just about to launch this program. Her name's Melissa Vong, and she's teaching our latest free training on how to sell on Amazon in 2021. Now, she's built multiple multi-million dollar Amazon brands. She's made well over $20 million on Amazon, and she's put together this incredible workshop where she's going to show you exactly how she finds hot products on Amazon and how to get your business absolutely crushing on Amazon. So if you want to know how people are doing this, and if you're a first-time founder that you want to know how to use Amazon, then please go ahead and sign up to founder.com forward slash Amazon training to get on the VIP waitlist for this new incredible program that's launching soon. All right, guys, it's founder.com forward slash Amazon training. All right, now let's jump to the show. Hey, Founder fam, welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to go deep on how to source your products for your online store. Now, I know we've got a lot of people in the e-commerce world, so you're going to love this one. We're really going to uncover everything you need to know about sourcing, designing, and manufacturing your product. So if you're ready to learn the correct pathway from someone who's been doing this for years, then get ready. Today's guest is Kian Golzari, and he's one of the world's leading product development and sourcing experts out there who has personally sourced over 2,500 products for like global brands like Bed Bath & Beyond, Tesco, Argos, Aldi, list kind of goes on. 
And at the end, if you really want to go deeper on this, make sure you check out our free Amazon FBA workshop. So Kian's one of our guest instructors uh, for this new program that we've launched. If you want to know more about how to start a business on Amazon FBA, make sure you go to founder.com forward slash Amazon training. Okay, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. So Kian, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today, man. Uh, really excited to speak with you. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Um, hey, Nathan, how's it going? Hope you're well. Thanks very much for having me on. I mean, I was um, super fortunate. I was kind of born into this role of sourcing products from China. And what I mean by that is that my dad started his own business about 30 years ago. He went to China for the first time as it was coming out of a communist rule and as they were setting up factories for the first time. So even when I was like five years old, I was having like Chinese suppliers come over to the house and we would like hang out and I would hang out with the factory owner's kids. So my, my whole childhood, I was so curious. I was always hearing about what's going on in China and hearing all these stories from my dad. So by the time I graduated university, that was the first thing I wanted to do is go to China and really discover all this stuff. So luckily I was born into it and it's something I've been passionate about my whole life. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I'm curious, we're going to talk about like, we're just going to, you're like the sourcing master in particular around Amazon FBA. I want to talk kind of to you around why is sourcing so particularly important like getting it right when it comes to Amazon FBA. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think sourcing is the most important aspect of the business because a lot of people think about the profit in the selling price, but there's also profit in the buying price as well. If you've been buying a product for $10, but you could have been getting it for $8 the whole time, then that's like $2 you could have saved per unit. But it's not only down to the price, it's, you know, with the factory that you work with, the relationship that you have with them, the credit terms that they can give you, the quality that they can give you, you know, the higher quality, the less returns, um, you know, the more they can push your items to the front of the production schedule, the less you're likely to run out of stock. And all these things really stem from knowing who you're working with and building a relationship with that manufacturer. So I think sourcing is crucially important for success uh, in Amazon FBA game. Yeah, interesting. And like you've sourced over 2,500 products, like that's a lot. Um, you know, what, what are you getting right? Like what are the key things that like when, if people are looking to go down this path of like sourcing products, like, yeah, I'd love to hear from you, your world. Sure. I mean, I I moved to China in 2010 when I went for the first time. I went for like a two week holiday, two week trip, and then I was like, I just ended up staying for three months. Went back to Scotland, got my things, set up an office there, and just stayed there because I loved it and I wanted to be immersed in it. But essentially, it's being able to work with the top suppliers and that you know a lot of people maybe start with a small order quantity and they've got you know 300 units for their first item and they're like you know why does this big factory want to work with me i've just got a small order but we can always show our leverage with the supplier even if it is a first order of, of a small number of units let's say for example it's a yoga mat you're doing rather than just saying to the supplier hey what's your price what's your moq you would say things like hey i've been a yoga instructor for four 
14 years. Uh, I know all the biggest yoga influencers in the space. I'm very knowledgeable about the products. I've been selling offline. Now I'm going to move online. So now that's a customer that the supplier wants to work with. So you still get access because the supplier is not thinking how much money am I going to make from this order? They're thinking about how much money am I going to make from this customer over the next three, five, 10 years. So as long as we can kind of paint the picture of who we are and we're going to be in business together in partnership for the long term, then we get access to the to the absolute best suppliers. But yeah, having spent so much time in China, you can start to see like patterns in terms of the best ways of working with suppliers and making sure that they have all the right compliance and certificates and that they supply the markets that you also supply. So for example, if, if we've decided we want to sell in the US market, it's very important that our suppliers also sell in the US so they're familiar with the quality standards, with the certification and things like that. Whereas if that supplier has just been selling in the domestic market in China or maybe in the South American market, then they're not familiar with the quality standards and, and certifications and things like that. So um, just by being curious and by asking a lot of questions uh, to the supplier, uh, we can really find out a lot about them and then partner with the right ones for our brand. Interesting. So uh, you've sourced products for like NBA, the Olympics, like you have a full laundry list of like incredible clients that you've worked with and so many more. Like how did you get there? Like how did that come about? Um, it was super interesting. So I started off in a family business and um, called Highlander and we were doing like camping and outdoor products. And we, the Scottish government just put us up for some tender to say, hey, the Olympics is coming to London in 2012. You guys should apply for it, you know, over categories of products. And it was one of those things, yeah, we'll make an application, but I doubt we'll get it. It'll go to a much larger organization. And then it went through like a tender process of like 200 companies then 100 companies then 50, then 20, then five, then two. And we're like, oh, this is actually, we're quite cool, close to this. And then we got awarded the Olympic license and that was for nine different categories of product. And uh, that was great because once we got the Olympics and we fulfilled that, it was so easy to get any other license we wanted. And it was so easy to get our products into retailers because we would say, hey, we are the official licensee of the London 2012 Olympics. And then here's the other products that we also do. And then once we get into those retailers, then other licenses came calling. And we also do a lot of disaster relief um, equipment for the United Nations, work with the Ministry of Defense. And, it, and then working with the NBA, and these are all vastly different organizations, but it comes down to the core principle of being able to source the absolute best product from the best supplier at the best price, at the best quality. And if you can do that, you can supply you know, whoever you want uh, in this industry. Yeah, wow, that's impressive. So um, for everyone watching, kind of, if they don't have their product ID yet, from your view of the world, like where should they start? You know, like um, for for your product idea, obviously you can go down like the keyword research path and see how you can find the ideal product. The other option is if you just want to start with passion and really bring a product to market that solves a problem. And I always feel the best products are the ones which solve problems. And whatever it is, and why I say like start with passion is that, you know, this is entrepreneurship can be a long and lonely uh, journey, as you all know. But if it's something that you're passionate about, then it's something that you don't mind to work until two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, getting samples, solving problems, talking to those different suppliers. And then as a result that you can build a community around that product as well, which can help your Amazon sales as well, because then you can use the traffic from your community to send to your Amazon listing to get more sales. So 
you know, Melissa goes into a lot of detail in terms of like identifying the right keyword strategies and keyword research to find product opportunities. But there is also the option of, right, what product can I develop that the market uh, hasn't seen yet? And then you can get traction through that as well. Yeah, I see. And something that comes up a lot, um, and I see this a lot when when speaking to all sorts of e-commerce uh, founders or even SaaS or, or any anybody that's building a product or a service, um, is this idea that, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, like you can just kind of rework an existing product. From your view of the world and experience, can you talk us through that? Like, can you give us an example? Like what's the first step if somebody wants to redesign an existing product? Yeah. You know, something that we can always do and not many people do is like leverage your manufacturer's experience and knowledge, right? So let's say you have a product and you're talking to the supplier and we're thinking in our heads, right, how, how can I improve this? But remember that the manufacturer is making this product for clients in Germany and Brazil and Spain and US and Japan, and they're exporting this product all over the world. And just by opening up the conversation with the supplier and saying, hey, I want to order this tripod or I want to order these, you know, blue light blocking glasses, what do you suggest in terms of improving the product? And then they might say, well, in Brazil, they just start to add these like carbon fiber things to make the frames a little bit lighter. So we can actually leverage the knowledge of our manufacturers to help improve the product as well. And they're very much open to um, sharing that information with us because once we've established that we're a serious customer, well, if they can help improve the product as well, then that just means more sales for them. And that means that they're gonna lock us in uh, as a customer. So I always like to bounce ideas off my manufacturers because they are product experts as well. Yeah, I see. And like for someone that's trying to create something completely new, what stages of design validation do they need to go through? Like what should they be thinking about? Yeah, I always like to create like a, a mood board when I'm de developing something new. And this could be, right, here's my idea for the product. Here's my competitors' items. Here's the market leaders. Here are the colors which are trending this year. Here are the new sustainable materials, which everyone's talking about. Here are the biggest influencers in the space. And I kind of save all those images and I print them out and I put them on a big sheet. And then it's almost like um, connecting the dots, right? Some things will just come to life for you once you visualize all of that stuff in front of you. But it's hard when you, when you keep it in your head. But the more ideas you have about a product and it's, it's not really just about the product it's about everything that surrounds the product it's the entire journey you know can i make the packaging a little bit more inf environmentally friendly can i make the packaging a feature of the product um what is the customer experience like and then any ideas you have jot them down uh, print them out get them on the wall and then ideas will start to come to life for you and that's always been if you're stuck that's always a good way to really unlock some new ideas and then once once you've got that idea, like you go to Alibaba or something like that, kind of, um, is, is this the next best step? Yeah, I mean, so I've always been doing my business like face-to-face -face in factories, but during the pandemic over the last couple of years, it's kind of forced us to source products online, which to be fair to Alibaba, they've massively improved their, um, their, their services and their website to make it a lot easier for us. And there are really good suppliers on Alibaba, but there are also really bad suppliers on Alibaba. And the key to success on sourcing through Alibaba is filtering out the bad ones and going straight to the good ones. So, you know, just to give you some quick tips, like when you're looking for a supplier on Alibaba, 
a lot of people just type in the product that they're looking for, hit search, and then they have all these different products and prices and they're like, well, this one's $3, this one's $7. I don't really know what's the difference. But in the search bar, it goes to products. You can switch the search from products to suppliers. And now you're searching by the best suppliers because the purpose of Alibaba is to essentially find the best suppliers and then negotiate the price, not find the cheapest price because then that links you with the worst suppliers. So I would search by suppliers first and then the two most important things are trade assurance and verification. Trade assurance means that your payment is protected. If anything goes wrong with your order, then Alibaba will refund you. And the verification box means that the factory that the inf the information that the factory has provided has been verified by a third party. So if they say they have 100 workers in the factory, that's been verified. If they say they have 50 sewing machines, that's been verified. And then you can scroll down and look at what certificates they have, how many years they've been in business. You can click on their listings, see their um, you know, machinery and, and whatnot. So there's so much information that we have at our disposal by using Alibaba, but it's all about using it in the right way. Uh, there are other sources as well, uh, but Alibaba is by far the best. Uh, but I would always encourage, you know, once you've selected your supplier to really build up a relationship with that supplier uh, to really get the best out of them. And a lot of people ask, well, how can I build up a relationship with them? I'm just talking to them on Alibaba. But there's a Chinese app called WeChat and WeChat is like the Chinese like WhatsApp or Messenger. And what I like to do is like keep all my important business conversations like price and quality and delivery date to email and to Alibaba. But on WeChat, I'll, I want to get informal and say, hey, how was your weekend? What did you get up to? Oh, me and my buddies went to the game. We had some beers. Here's some pictures. Oh, Chinese New Year is coming up. How are you guys celebrating? What food do you normally eat? Can you send me some pictures there? And why that's important is that now you get conversational with your supplier on this app. And let's say, for example, you've got an order ready to go and it's supposed to ship in a week's time. You can just ping them on WeChat and say, hey, do you mind just going, can we jump on a quick WeChat call, get on a video call? Can you take me down to the factory floor and just show me the goods? And then now you have eyes and ears in the factory because you've developed that relationship on WeChat. But if you just always said on Alibaba, hey, what's the delivery date? You know, like the, it's a much bigger difference. Yeah, that's gold, man. And like, is there any other kind of red flags that people should look for? Because you have like, I'm sure you know many stories, people getting burnt. You got any stories of people getting burnt or hear any wild things? And yeah, like, because yeah, I know people are scared because it, it's quite a bizarre feeling, right? Like you're working with these people, you've never met them, that you hand them over the money then like they produce this product and then that product gets shipped somewhere and you don't even see it and then other people are buying it like yeah now, i would say to give yourself absolute safety the best measures we can do is first of all go through the steps that we kind of just discussed in order to make sure you align with the top factories and then before placing any deposit you have to confirm that sample you have to have a sample in your hand that you're like this is what I confirmed to go into mass production. I'm 100% happy with this. Based on this sample, here's my 30% deposit. And then they, they start the production once they get the deposit. And then once they finish the production, now you say, all right, now send me the pre-shipment sample. That's the sample, which is an accurate representation of the production that you've made. And the pre-production sample and the pre-shipment sample you should have in your hand, and it should be 100% match. It should be exactly the same. This is what I confirmed to go into production. This is an actual production. This is fantastic. But you know, you might think, oh, well, what happens if they just give you a nice sample and the production is completely different? The next step is making sure that you have a pre-shipment inspection done. I like to do pre-shipment inspections on every order, but especially for the first one, it's so, so important. So a third party is going in and they're checking your production. They're seeing that, okay, 
you've ordered a thousand units. The thousand units are here. They've tested them. They've taken them out of the box. They've make sure the products fit for fit for, for purpose. You've got the report, and now you can kind of place that remaining balance payment, and you can sleep at night knowing I've got samples I'm happy with. I've sent in a third party quality control team. And that pre-shipment inspection isn't even expensive. It's you know two hundred dollars for one full day, but for the value of your order, two hundred dollars is, is nothing compared to knowing that you got what you actually ordered. And then on top of all of that, if you place your order through Alibaba and you select a trade assurance, then your payment is also protected as well. If anything did go wrong with your order, so those are kind of like the steps that we would put in place to make sure that we have full protection. Because you're right, it can be scary, like dealing with a new country, a new culture, new people for the first time. And you're like, I want to make sure I don't get screwed over. Those are kind of like the, the best sort of steps I would advise to make sure you're pretty safe. I've got a little bit of a follow-up there on that one, just around defects. Like in your view of the world, um, from your experiences, what kind of like, let's say you do an MOQ, minimum order quantity of a thousand units. What should be an acceptable amount of defects? Yeah, so so the industry standard, and w- when you get an inspection, you have what's called the AQL, which is an accepted quality level, and they have minor, major, and critical. Uh, minor, you're allowed 4% defects. Major, you're allowed 2.5% defects. And critical, you're allowed 0% defects. So um, a minor, let's say, for example, like let's say we're doing like a kid's scooter, for example, a minor might be there's dust marks or there's scratch marks on the surface. A major would be the handlebar is two centimeters shorter than it should be. The handlebar still works, but it's, it's shorter, so it's a major. And a critical would be like the wheels don't turn, like the product doesn't work. So based on those categories, and then you know four percent, two and a half percent, and zero percent, we then accept what can be returned and what not. So let's say we order these one thousand units. Well based on the 1,000 units, like 4% of that, if we have returns over 4%, then we can make a claim to the supplier. But under 4%, it's like, it's kind of industry standard that we're allowing or accepting 4% returns on the minor uh, issues. But if you do ever experience any returns, rather than saying to the supplier, oh, we had 55 returns out of the 1,000, give us a refund. uh, What I like to say is, right, First of all, get to the root of the problem. Like, how did this happen and how can we improve it for future? How can we make sure it doesn't happen again? Let your inspection company know what happened and get them to check for that on next inspection. And then on top of that, let's say you had 55 returns. When you place your next order of 1,000 units, they should be sending you 1,055 so rather than refunding you, they just send you extra stock of the ones that you got returned. So you get them as free units uh, on your next order. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Just another follow-up. You talked about kind of 
uh, different customs, right? Like different cultures, different customs. Can you give us some examples where like, I guess you can you can build a better relationship with a Chinese manufacturer because because you speak uh, do you speak Mandarin right? Uh, Indian, Indian, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, by first of all going to China, going to their place of business, which hopefully you know in in the short term we we can do that. That also plays a, a massive role and a massive impact because it's more of a, a respect thing that I'm coming to your place of business. I'm serious about doing business with you in China. Therefore, I'm flying all the way to your country and. Even though we can't do that right now, we can still, when we talk online, we can say, when travel opens back up, I look forward to seeing you in your factory. So they're kind of knowing that they're expecting your visit later on. And that's also good because if you're talking to them and you're saying, like, you know, how many workers have you got in your factory? And they tell you 200, but they've only actually got 50. But you've told them, I'm coming to visit you. You also get their most honest service from day one uh, as well. But just uh, being immersed in the culture and like being there and, you know, going out for dinner, going out for drinks. And, um, you know, they have this mentality that the more you drink together, the better friends that you are, the better friends that you are, the more business you do together. So when I was like traveling to China and going to all these different cities, it was like every night, different suppliers getting drunk. It just, it was like, it, it was tough going, but it was really good for business. Right. So um, one, one thing you can also do to improve that relationship is the Chinese new year is coming up and it'll be 1st of February in 2022. You might want to send your supplier a nice little gift. Uh, and I was, people always ask, you know, what's the best gift to send a supplier? I always say something that represents your hometown. So if your hometown is known for like a sports team, like the Chicago Bulls or something, you know, send them a t-shirt or a jersey of that team or a key ring. Um, or if your town is known for like hot sauce, you know, send them the hot sauce of, and the, you know, they love tea. If you're known for tea or whiskey or whatever it may be, uh, just send them a nice little package like that. And they will greatly appreciate it. And um I always feel it's so, so important to have a direct line of communication with the boss because quite often, you know, you talk to a supplier on Alibaba, but you're dealing with like the sales assistant, but it's really the boss, which is a decision maker. So when you get to the stage of, okay, I need these goods to ship out before the 30th of April, otherwise I'm going to miss my, I'm going to go out of stock. It's the boss which decides, yeah, okay, push this item to the front of the production schedule. Now, why I bring that up is that when you're wanting to send them a gift over Chinese New Year, you can say to your sales assistant, I would love to send you a gift and I would love to send one for your boss as well. Can you let me know what they like? And sometimes the boss might not even speak English, but you want them to know like this came from me. So Kian sent you a bottle of whiskey and say, can you get a photo of the boss with the whiskey uh, when, I, when I pass it to you? And they're like, cool. So then when it comes to the time in April, when you're like, I need these goods to go to the front of the production schedule, the boss will say, well, who's asking? Oh, it was Kian. You know, the guy which gave you the bottle of whiskey at Chinese New Year. Oh yeah, he was a great guy. That was, that was a really nice bottle of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Send it to the front. So it's things like that, that we can use these gifts to um, improve our relationships, but not only improve the relationships with the sales assistants, but with the decision makers uh, in the business as well. Mm, that's gold. Um... What about like common things that you see people don't like the getting wrong? Like we've talked about like some of the cool, like great things you can do to build a relationship with your manufacturer. But like, what about getting wrong? Anything there that you've seen or any stories? Yeah. In terms of getting things wrong, um, in terms of relationships, I would say it's just like um, communication is key. And a lot of people kind of view supply chain as, oh, I've ticked that box. I've placed that order. Like I've sent the deposit, but it's, more to do with like um, 
building that relationship at every step of the journey. And it's building that relationship really, really pays dividends in the long term. But in terms of you know doing things wrong, I think a lot of people can be sometimes quite short and quite rude with the manufacturers as well. Maybe they're they're stressed out in their job and they don't have much time to work on this like side business. They're reaching out to you know 10 different suppliers on Alibaba and they're like, right, can you do it at this price? No, I want it at that price. Why can't you do this? Like you have to always remember that you know people buy from people. So we the same way that the customers want a nice brand experience when they buy from us. The suppliers also want a nice experience when we purchase from them as well. So we just have to remember that we're still buying from people and the, the more sort of um, you know, love and respect that, that we have for them and we work with, then we'll have better results in our business. Yeah, love it. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit, switch gears and talk about Canton Fair. Um, like for anyone that doesn't know what, what that is, um, what is it? And, and can you tell us about some of your experiences there? Sure, sure. So Canton Fair is the largest import-export exhibition in the world. Uh, It's in Guangzhou, China. It happens twice a year uh, in April and October. It has over 26,000 exhibitors uh, of Chinese suppliers over three phases. Every single category of product that you can imagine, whether it be like medical or footwear or pets, sport, travel, machinery, it's all there. They even have an international pavilion as well where they invite international suppliers uh, in one hall as well. And it's such it, it, it's such an amazing experience because it really turbocharges your learning and speeds up the process as well. Because imagine you want to develop and manufacture a backpack, but there's three different halls for backpacks. And there's like, you know, outdoor backpacks, camping backpacks, travel backpacks, luggage, fashion, all, all these different materials. And when you're thinking what to do, you can actually touch and feel all these products in front of you. Like compare that to looking at them on Alibaba on the screen, constantly scrolling. You can actually touch, feel, use, see the features, see what you like about it, see what you don't like about it. And on top of the products, the suppliers are right there as well. So you can talk to them and build relationships with them and get an idea and understanding of who you like to work with and who understands you and, um, really pick their brain so you can talk to maybe five to ten different suppliers for one product in one day make the decision negotiate the price and say right i'm going to visit your factory next week or i'm going to place a deposit right now so it really turbocharges uh, your learning and your experience and because the canton fair is in china i would also encourage like once you find the factory that you want to work with you just go and visit the factory after that as well because I kind of see like sourcing from China in like three stages. There's like sourcing online from Alibaba. Then there's going to the Canton Fair and seeing all the suppliers. And then there's going to the factory to do like the deep work as well. And uh, the first time I ever went to the factory, uh, it was a backpack factory. And just my mind was blown. And why I say that is that I always thought as a backpack, it's like one unit on a shelf in a store. And then when I saw it in a factory, I saw a backpack in 30 different pieces. I saw the shoulder strap, the foam that goes in the shoulder straps, the webbing, the zipper, zippers, the buckles, the, the pullers, the inside lining, the waterproof coating. And I saw these different stations and processes where they were all assembled. And it now allows you to think in like 3D. So if you have like a $15 product and you want to get it down to like a $12 product, I've got 30 different calculations I can make in my head in terms of how to reduce the cost of this product or vice versa, if you want to improve it, I've got 30 different ways. I feel like I can improve it as well. And it's so hard to actually do that unless you go and visit and see how your product is assembled. But I would encourage anyone who can't get out to a factory, if you do have your sample or your product in front of you, disassemble it, you know, pull it apart, take it into pieces, see what's inside it, you know, see what 
thickness of foam is in the shoulder straps. See if the lining is waterproof, like test everything and then take it to pieces and then ask your supplier of like, how, how can we improve this? But it really, really opens your mind. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So let's talk about negotiation. Like, do you have any best practices there? Because obviously you're a master at uh, kind of getting the right price. Uh, that's why a lot of people pay you a lot of money uh, as a sourcing expert. So any best practices there you can you, you share with people? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the, the number one 100% most important thing is to have a specification sheet for your product. And a specification sheet is essentially, let's say it's an outdoor furniture chair. It's like, right, here are the dimensions, here's the material, this is the steel, this is the thickness of the steel, this is the Pantone colors. And it's just one document, one PDF, all of the information required about that product. And then you send that spec sheet to multiple suppliers. So everyone's quoting like for like. So you start to get the prices back, you know, 570, 590, $6.10, but everyone's quoting on the exact same thing. So compare that to when you just go on Alibaba and you type in outdoor furniture chair and you're like, what's the price of this? What's the price of that? What's the price of that? And you're getting $7, $4, $8. They're not quoting like for like. So before we can negotiate price, we have to understand what is the market price. We have to negotiate from a position of knowledge to say, what is the actual price of this product? And the best way is getting a spec sheet sending it out to the top suppliers, understanding what is the price. And then once we get the market price, then we can negotiate down. And once we have those prices back, it's not just like, okay, cool, I'm going to go for the cheapest one. You can still select your favorite supplier, maybe the one which was $6.50 and say, hey, I really like your product. I like your sample. I want to do business with you for the long term. However, I just, I got a quote for $5.80 as well. And if you can match the price, then I'm happy to do the business with you for the long term. But you know that price of 580 is a fair price because that supplier also received the exact same information and they were able to quote that price. So you know it's not unrealistic for the supplier to, to make that price. So that, that's the way I would always start. But then in terms of you know even getting a better price as well, um, you can always ask the factory, what materials are you holding in stock? Because a lot of factories do get cancelled orders or they do get um, a lot of materials that they hold in stock that they want to get rid of um let's say for example you know you're ordering like uh blue t-shirts but they have this like light blue t-shirt light blue material that they just want to get rid of that a previous customer had placed there that they cancelled the order they're like okay i'll give you this material and i'll give you it at 50 percent off because i just want to get rid of it so it always helps by asking the supplier what materials are you holding in stock and also what products are you holding in stock as well and then you might want to just you know customize the packaging um and then I always go by a concept of uh, imitate and innovate. You might take a concept that already works. You might see something that's selling on Amazon that you're like, okay, this product's actually selling really well. I don't want to change the wheel here. I don't want to change much about the product, but I want to add like one layer of innovation on top. So I would find a product that a factory is already making and say, look, I want to order this product. And because the factory's already made that product before, they've gone through the whole teething process. They've already set up the production line. The workers already know how to make it. So they're not making samples. Or they're not training the workers how to make something new. And then if you can just make a small innovation on top, like making the material waterproof or increasing the dimension of it or increasing, changing it from steel to aluminum to making it lighter, you can innovate on top of something that already works. And in that way, you can add new features, but also uh, keep a low price. Yeah, wow, that's gold, man. Thank you so much. Um, this has been a great interview. Um, work towards wrapping up. When you talk about visiting your manufacturers, you've visited over 500 different factories. Um, what, what should you be looking for? Like you talked about, uh, you know, how many workers 
Um, but what, what else? Sure. I mean, I always like to just, first of all, get a feel for the factory in terms of, I like to understand, right, where is your attention going in terms of what countries that you're exporting to? Um, and then you can kind of see that just by walking around the factory, all the items that they've got in production right now, um, we can see what brands that they're making for. And I'll, I'll, you would probably recognize those brands. And if not, I would research them. I see like, all right, what countries are you supplying? And within those countries, what are the top brands that you're supplying as well? It's kind of like the 80-20 rule, you know, like 20% or 80% of your attention is going to 20%. Um, so you basically want to find out who those brands are, make sure those are brands that you're happy with. As well as that, you know, um, making sure that they have all the right, you know, certificates like in-house testing. So, you know, sometimes we get a product and we'll send it to a third party like Intertech or SGS to actually test the product. But the really good factories actually have internal testing. So I was doing like military boots and hiking boots and stuff like that. And when the goods come off the production line, they put these boots in what's called like a flex test. So they just flex it 10,000 times. So they know that the, you can walk like, you know, 10 kilometers in these boots and the soles don't crack. Um, or they'll get the zips of a backpack and they'll run the zips like 10,000 times. So because they do these things internally, actually one of the coolest experiences I had was I was doing um, airbeds, just like inflatable airbeds. And it was an, an order of like 20,000 units or something. And the factory inflate hundred percent of the airbeds before they actually pack them for production because they want to make sure that there's no like holes or, or, or anything in the product. And it was, when I walked in, it was like the, a factory the size of like a football stadium all with inflated airbeds so it just looked like the world's biggest like bouncy castle uh, but for me that was really cool because i know that they actually test the products before they actually you know export them to the customer and then on top of that is really just understanding who is the boss and then having a tea with them or having a, a whiskey with them to sort of help improve and build that relationship but and then obviously look at the production line and see how the products are actually made and you know build up your own knowledge but for me i've been to a lot of factories and i really want to the purpose of improving my knowledge is i really want to understand how the products are made like we talked about with the backpack example but sometimes when i go to factories i'll see other buyers from other countries and they'll just pop their head in and they're like yeah cool that's where the goods are made and then they walk away but they didn't learn anything so i always like to be curious and ask a ton of questions and be like how is this made why did you do it like this what does this person at this machine do and really fully understand the entire process yeah i see fascinating um i also found it very interesting how you talk about a whiskey i didn't think that'd be big uh yeah the guys in china would be big on on drinking huge huge <laughs> <laughs> there you go okay so look a couple last questions um you've sourced and worked with a lot of interesting brands kind of um what's been the most proudest moment in your career thus far yeah it's a great question so i am um, started off in a family business like camping and outdoor goods and I remember, I think in like 2016 or 2017, I set out to make uh, the best outdoor rucksack in terms of like something we can go hiking in 80 liters, you can camp overnight. And I, I looked at the competition, I'm looking at uh, Deuter, Osprey, Vaudi, Burkhouse, all these big brands. And I'm like, I want to make the best outdoor rucksack. I know I'm good at what I do. I know I spend a lot of time in factories. I know I can develop great products, but I just want to develop the best product here. So spent about a year on this project and on this bag and not only develop the best product, but bring it in at the best possible price. And then a few months later, this magazine called like Trail Magazine uh, on the cover said like test of the best. And this like Highlander Outdoor Rucksack won best value of the entire rucksack range. And what was amazing for me was that our rucksack was retailing at £115 and the rest of the competition 
were almost double the price retailing at 200 pounds, but we managed to outscore them on every category. And for me, that's like, you know, having the best product doesn't mean being the most expensive. You can still add a lot of value. You can still have great quality product, but, but, but not having a crazy price. And that's really just by understanding how products are made and being able to deliver the most amount of value. So I always knew in my head that I was good at that, but just to have it validated by like a, a magazine uh, was, a, was a really proud moment for me. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing, man. That's an interesting insight. So on the flip side, what's been the most challenging experience of your career? Uh, the most challenging, um, it's been interesting. Uh, you know what? It, it, it's strange, right? Because I've always had this mindset of every, anything I set my mind to, I will always achieve. So like leaving the family business, I think was really challenging for me because I grew up in that. I learned the business from my dad and then I worked with my brother. Um, and then, but I set out to, I'm a big fan of basketball, big fan of the NBA. And I was like, right, I want to supply the NBA. And then within six months, I was able to do that. And then I was like, right, I want to work with some of the players. And then I managed to do that. So um, whatever I've set my mind to, I've always managed to achieve. I, I always just say like, you know, if, if you make failures, they, all they do is just turn into lessons, right? We just make sure we don't make those mistakes again. But luckily, I haven't had like any serious issues or serious failures that I've not really been able to recover from. So I don't know if I've got a good answer for that. But I think any sort of mistake or failure that I've made within working with factories have just taken those lessons into improving the products for uh, the next venture. Yeah, no, awesome. Well, look, man, uh, I could sit here and talk with you all day about sourcing uh, products and working with manufacturers. Uh, you know, you've been so kind. We uh, got you to go to New York and uh, shoot some incredible content for our course platform for our latest course that we're launching with Melissa around how to start and grow an Amazon business using Amazon FBA. It's called Infinite Income on Amazon and you're a guest instructor. So if people want to know more, they can find out more about that course. But um, we'll work towards wrapping up. We're going to move to the hot seat round now. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions, 30 second answers, okay? Let's do it. What's the one thing that most people misunderstand when it comes to selling on Amazon? The one thing they most misunderstand is I, I would go back to, to suppliers not building that relationship. Uh, they just think that they're buying from one place, Alibaba, and selling another on Amazon, but they don't know sometimes don't realize that they're actually building a real business. Uh, and just by having great communication and having great relationships with your suppliers really, really improves the results of your business. What is one product that you think is going to dominate in 2021 and 2022 on Amazon? I would say more sustainable products. I think that we're going through a phase of people being more environmentally conscious. And there's definitely loads of ways that we can add sustainability within our products by using recyclable materials, reusable packaging, organic materials. And these things don't necessarily increase the cost of the product that much, but they help definitely shape the brand picture and the brand messaging and the customer experience. Last one, if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I would say 100% Kobe Bryant. Like uh, Kobe was definitely my idol, like basketball-wise, but what was more impressive was his business moves off the court after he retired. And I follow a lot of his content in terms of like podcasts and episodes and things like that he did uh, after he finished his career. And I think the most unshakable thing was his mindset. And he took that mindset to achieve great things within basketball, but then he was also achieving great things in business as well. So I would love to learn more about his mindset and uh, and apply it to my business as well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, big fan. Okay, awesome. Well, look, 
We'll wrap there, man. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You shared a ton of gold. I'm sure tons of people watching this will want to learn more about you and also uh, your guest instructing on this incredible program with Melissa. But um, yeah, thank you so much, brother. Thanks, Nathan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.